Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and together we are the Minimalists. Welcome. Today, we're going to talk about mementos. Now, Ryan, if this was a regular podcast, this is, ex- is exactly where the advertisements would go. <laughs> this would be our uh, our advertisement for Mentos. <laughs> for our, for our show, Mementos. Yes. <laughs> 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 Hit us up that. in the DMs, Mementos. I, I mean, Mentos. <laughs> I love Mentos. <laughs> just so we can laugh at you. You know, uh, I would just say, going over these questions, man, I feel like almost this podcast could have been called, uh, like, the rules we build around ourselves or boundaries or something, because I found myself with all of these questions kind of looking at what are the boundaries that people set up when it comes to Mementos? Mm. And, and, and what what are these, like, sort of self-constructed prisons that we've made yeah and and it's all decorated by all of these sort of tchotchkes and what's a tchotchke to me might be a precious item to someone else absolutely i think we'll dive into that today but first a little bit of follow-up uh your added value from last week yes what was it it was evil genius bex and i started watching we saw the first episode oh yeah and I'm what do you hooked. think? I'm hooked. I mean, Bex is, is not here right now. She'll be back in a couple of days uh, with Ella. And so uh, I got to find a way to, to, I mean, we don't have any time to watch TV usually, but uh, whenever I can sneak an hour in, that's, that's where I'm going to be going. <laughs> Unless it's basketball. Well, yeah. Speaking but, of which, who, who's leading the, as of right now? As of who, this recording, leading? sadly, very sadly, it is Golden State Warriors are up to zero. Although uh, Cavaliers should have won the first game. There was uh, J.R. Smith, like, he J.R. Smith the game. <laughs> <laughs> he thought they were winning, and so he like ran away with the ball, but oh, they were actually tied, and wow. so it went to overtime, and they got destroyed. But anyway, we'll, we'll skip the basketball talk uh, this week. I just wanted to say that Evil Genius is really good so far. Uh, hopefully it resolves. Don't, don't, no spoilers, please. No, no, no. I, just that first episode, all the, that first episode, all it does is it gives you about 20 questions. Uh, yes! That you so need answered. So many questions! <laughs> so many questions that you need answered, and it does answer all the questions in the next five episodes. Oh, that's good. There's six episodes total? I think so, oh, yeah. holy moly. Okay, well, I'll strap in for the ride. And then last week, we, we talked about uh, tickets are now on sale for the Simply Southern Tour, but we yeah. didn't have all the guests to announce, so I figured at the top of the show, we could at least uh, tell people about the folks that who are going to be on this tour with us. Really, we're going to be talking about money, and minimalism. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's a Simply Southern tour because we're going to be in, in the southern states, but but man, we've got some awesome guests who yes. are going to help people with, uh, whether it's budgeting or making better money decisions or building habits around money. Um, all three of our guests are going to speak directly towards that, and I think it's going to be a great tour, man. Yeah, so, so we're going to talk about debt, we'll talk about finance, we'll talk about money and budgeting and saving and retirement, mm-hmm. and it's really because we have some good answers on those topics. We wanted to say, why don't we bring some experts on <laughs> well, to talk about and, it? And I'll be honest, man. Like most of my answers, I get from people like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, 
um, you know, Rachel Cruz, who's going to be one of our guests. Yeah. Her 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 uh, father, Dave Ramsey. I mean, all of my financial advice that I give to my uh, men- mentor students, uh-huh. it usually comes from Dave Ramsey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, so let's just talk about it real quick. Uh, we're going to be in Birmingham on July twentieth. Now, here's a, here's the deal. I think all three of these events will sell out. But we're going to have a lot of people who actually show up to all three events because all three events are going to be different. It's not going to be like with the Less Is Now tour, every event was pretty much the same. I mean, questions are obviously different when people come up and ask different questions. But we were giving a talk then. This is going to be different because instead we're bringing on a guest. We're going to talk to them about their experience with money. So in Birmingham on July 20th, we're going to be with Anthony O'Neill. And you might know him as the author of Five Mistakes You Can't Afford to Make in College. And uh, here's, here's a quick uh, bio about Anthony. At age 19, he was deep in debt and short on hope with no direction of where his life was headed. But after hitting rock bottom, he turned his life around and committed to helping young people cultivate their passions. Since 2003, Anthony has helped thousands of students succeed with money in their work and personal lives. So uh, if you want to say hi to him, you can say hi to him on Twitter. We'll put a link to his Twitter in the show notes, it's at Anthony O'Neill. And uh, what I like about this is the money that, or I'm sorry, the, the advice about money that is good for young people tends to be advice that you can also extrapolate out and apply to the rest of your life. Like, oh, yeah. The things that I apply to my life right now at age 36. I really wish I would have applied when I was college age, right? right. When I was 18, 19, 20, 21. And, and uh, he has this book. If you're watching this on, I don't know if we're actually going to put out the YouTube version of this, but um, Podcast Sean is recording this podcast on video for the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash The Minimalist. But uh, his book, Five Mistakes You Can't Afford to Make in College, um, we'll, uh, we'll be talking about some of the stuff that he, he talks about in here. And then in Louisville, on the 22nd of July, we're going to have Chris Hogan with us. So you probably know Chris Hogan. He has a great podcast called Retire Inspired. So it's the Retire Inspired podcast, which is also the name of his book, which I have a copy of right here. And so you probably know Chris talks about retirement. But again, it's not about like once you're in retirement, this is advice for you. No, that's a terrible time to plan for retirement is when you're already <laughs> retired, right? It's when you're our age, when you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s. Do I keep spitting on you? Dude, you've got the spittle is like, it's flowing today, man. I am honored. I've, I've you pre- know how many... You I know came many, prepared for the video podcast. You know how many men and women would just kill to be right here right now getting spittle thrown all over them? None. I mean, not, I'm not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but you're very uh, empathetic. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. So you can identify <laughs> with those people. Uh, no, but, but Chris Hogan's going to be with us uh, Louisville, July 22nd. Uh, you can say hi to Chris on Twitter. He's at ChrisHogan360. On Twitter, and then of course Rachel Cruz, who you mentioned, she'll be with us in Nashville on July 24th. She is the best-selling author of three books. Um, one of them I have here, which is "Love, Love Your Life, yeah. Not Theirs." That is her newest book. She's also on uh, the Rachel Cruz show that she just launched, and the re- whole reason for the store is we're going to be guests on on her show. Mm-hmm. And so we said, hey, if we're going to go down to Nashville to be a guest on her show, why not set up three events, sort of in the South? Birmingham, Louisville, and uh, and Nashville, right around this. And then if we're going to be in the South already, why not ask the folks from Ramsey Solutions to give some advice about money, right? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, I, I don't know if that's what your, uh, what your aim is right now, but by explaining how this came about, that's usually how most of our tours kind of come about, right? It's that's like true. we get asked to do one or two things, uh-huh. and then we're like, well, shoot, if we're going to be traveling and we're going to be on that side of the world or that side of the country... 
we might as well throw in a few other events. So yeah, that's exactly how this came about, man. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited. You probably also know her from her book that she wrote, co-authored with her father, Dave Ramsey. It's called Smart Money, Smart Kids. So on this tour, we're going to talk about retirement. We're going to talk about family and, and money. We're also going to talk about minimalism and decluttering and letting go as well. We'll be answering your questions. We'll have conversations with our guests. Come on out, Birmingham, Louisville, or Nashville. You can go to theminimalists.com to find tickets right now. All right, what else I got follow up here? Oh, uh, since we, we were talking about acquaintances last time and friends and relationships, yeah. I wish I would have had this article from Fast Company uh, because I think it's really good advice. Now, I'd like to append it a little bit, but I'd like to talk to you uh, uh, about this article. It's called The Science of Why We Talk Too Much mm. and How to Shut Up. Man, this is some advice I could certainly take. <laughs> <laughs> well, and let's talk about that. So the, the subtitle of this is, Our brains are wired to reward us for talking about ourselves, but droning on about yourself is a horrible way to make a good impression. And I would just say it's a horrible way to make friends, you know, mm. to make meaningful relationships, to just drone on and on about ourselves. Dude, can I tell you, like, and I'm guilty of doing this, but one of the, one of the things that, I don't want to say like makes me not want to be friends with someone, but it turns me off from the conversation or from an interaction is when I'm meeting someone for the first time and I'm telling them like a story about like whatever it may be. And then your trip to Cancun. Yeah. My trip to Cancun that, and then, and they're just trying to connect. Yes. Like they're not trying to, to do anything mean, right? but it's like, they'll cut me off and then they'll tell me about their friend's trip to Cancun and like not let me finish my story like i don't know why but this happens to me a lot but i'm also guilty of doing that sometimes right but it's but just to to this article's point of yes like talking about yourself uh, especially interrupting someone while they're talking about their self to talk about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> not a good way to make friends. Yeah, and not a good way to make a, a first impression or a lasting imp- well, you can make a first impression, it's sure. not a good first impression, right? right? Yeah. Uh, so here, here's uh, I'll read a bit of an excerpt and then we can have a discussion around it, Ryan. You probably talk too much. And there is a good reason for that. Science says that humans, being social animals, are programmed to use communication as a vital tool to survive and thrive. This wouldn't be a problem, except for the fact that science also tells us that our favorite subject to discuss is ourselves. Mm. People spend 60% of their conversations talking about themselves. 80% when chatting on social media. There's a nice disparity there. Think about that. Wow. It, it's it's one of the reasons that I make sure that um, when I'm when I tend to write anything that has to do with advice, mm-hmm. I'm I'm writing usually in the the plural third person. I'm I'm, I'm writing about we. Mm. Here's our problem mm-hmm. as, as consumers or our problem as human beings or whatever, as opposed to saying you, 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 and blaming other people right. or saying me, 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 look how great I am. Me, 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 me. But yeah. here's our problem. Here's how we can fix it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, I'll often tell it through my own lens, like, like here's the story I have, but only if it serves the greater good. Mm. It's easier for me to to just blather on and, and maunder on endlessly about myself. But if it doesn't serve the greater good, then we're just maundering on, mm-hmm. right? So um, 80% of uh, chatting on social media. The reason researchers found was that it just feels good. So much so that Harvard psychologists discovered that individuals were willing to give up money for the opportunity to disclose information about themselves. Huh. 
Say so that again. You're willing to give up money just so you have the opportunity to disclose more information about yourselves. I and there's a, there's a so link. basically people are willing there's to pay to talk about themselves. Yes, hmm. exactly. And there's a link to a study that Harvard did here. Well, I mean, think about actually think about social media. Yeah, they're gathering all that information on you. Like right. pe- people know when they use Facebook, like they they are their privacy is being invaded. Mm-hmm. But that's the price they pay to be masturbatory. Yes. I need to be able to to you know have this digital soapbox from which I can mm. spout my nonsense. Yeah. Um, and I think we're all we're all um, culpable to some to some extent. Of course. The question then is like how how can we rein it in? Right? Absolutely. Unfortunately, this propensity to pontificate is at odds with our collectively dwindling attention spans, which has been measured between as many as 59 seconds to as few as eight seconds. So our attention span these days is somewhere around eight seconds. It right? makes me sick, man, because I'm guilty of that, dude. Absolutely. Like it is, it's, yeah, this is, uh, that it is a problem. Did you see Tim Cook the other day? Tim Cook, uh, Apple guy. Yeah, he. No. Uh, I hear they're announcing something about how we can stop being distracted with our, our yeah, cell phones. His phones, yeah, he was like going on this, he just basically was talking about how he spends too much time on his phone. And uh-huh. um, yeah, it was just interesting to see the CEO of Apple Say, hey, you're. I'm on my phone too much. That means that there are a lot of other people who are probably on their phone too much, right? And like this guy who sells phones, it's funny because like I never really had an opinion about him, but like, what? Uh, it's kind of like you know, um, oh, at Patagonia when they're like, you don't need this jacket. Yeah, it's like it's yeah. a really it's it's great marketing. Because it seems honest. I don't know if he's being, you know, yeah. if he's doing well, it for the marketing or not. Well, but. If you, you can market honestly, too, right? I sure. mean, the, the whole advertising essay I wrote a few months back was, was sort of about that. Like, there are ways to promote yourself honestly to try to help other people. And that can actually help help you make money along the way. And mm-hmm. so hopefully, my, my great hope here is because Apple isn't Facebook or or Google where all of their attention, uh, where ten, attention is their currency to, mm-hmm. to a great extent. With Apple, it's more about the the hardware than it is the software, right? right? Yeah. And so maybe they can they can manufacture <laughs> the hardware in a way. I think you just like accidentally like burned Apple. <laughs> what do you it's mean? not so much about the software as much as it is the hardware. Well, no, I mean they recognize that 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 they're, they're, the money they make is from selling hardware. Yeah. Google yeah. doesn't make money from selling hardware, right? And and Facebook doesn't make money from selling hardware. I think both companies would like to, just like Apple would like to make money from selling software, mm-hmm. but the software they sell is essentially free, right? It right. Com- comes with their hardware, right? right? And so when I when I look at when I look at a company like Apple, maybe they can solve some problems and they can make some money along the way doing so. And that problem mm. with us right now is this eight second attention span, right? Yeah. Uh, so let's see, let's get back a few eight seconds. Thanks to the barrage of information from both verbal and digital sources. The ideal conversation should be total a total give and take with each person speaking about 50% of the time. That means staying quiet half of the time. A, a tough but influential... Tool, uh, wait, that means staying quiet half of the time. A tough but influential tool for business. Oh, there's a link there to something called a tool for business. As Peter Brugman notes in the Harvard Business Review, silence silence is a great un- uh, silence is a gr- greatly underestimated source of power. In silence, we can hear not only what is being said, but also what is not being said. In silence, it can be easier to reach the truth. 
I think you know, ultimately uh, there are some Zen Cohen's there about yeah. silence being the ultimate truth or, or something like that. But um, sometimes we get really uncomfortable. And I get it, especially if we're like on a podcast or something, you don't want, I mean, you can pause for dramatic effect. And there are some radio hosts who do that really well, where you turn on the radio and you're like, is this just dead air? And then all of a sudden you hear them talk, right? When you're getting ready to change the channel, like they, they've mastered that dramatic pause. But on a podcast, sometimes we're just, I'm just looking for the next thing to fill, to fill, to fill. Mm-hmm. But the truth is in our day-to-day conversations, the other, other 167 hours a week that we have, mm-hmm. we should practice a lot more silence for listening, right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, silence is definitely an underestimated source of power. To ensure that you're giving your conversation partner equal time and learning as much as you can, Mark Goulson, a business psychiatrist, says it's important to pay attention to the three stages of speaking to other people. And th- these were the tips I thought would help with the, the acquaintances slash friends slash you know, just relationships in our lives. Number one, the business stage. On task, relevant, and concise. So, so being... Uh, Especially if you're wanting to interact with someone, stay on task, be relevant, and be concise, concise the, the succinct or concise. The, 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 the old saying, brevity is the soul of wit. Mm-hmm. And that is true in writing when we're communicating. Seth Godin wrote something recently about throat clearing and how unnecessary it is. That's yeah, something, I just saw that, yeah. That's something I've been teaching in my, my writing class for years, the how to write better writing class. The, one of the worst things about blog posts is they could start two or three paragraphs later. There's all this throat clearing of, hey, I'm really sorry. That, prefacing and yeah I, I haven't written in two weeks i'm really sorry about that yeah. and, and it's like no, no no no, get to the point but that's that's even more true in in these conversations that that we're having let me get to the point every time i've seen a blog post or a newsletter something come through and it starts off with an apology like never have i been like i'm so glad they said i'm sorry <laughs> right i'm so glad they apologized for x y i mean uh, speaking directly towards what you said about, oh, I haven't posted in a couple of weeks or I haven't posted in a while. They're in my inbox. Mm-hmm. I obviously want to read them. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I don't need an apology, but yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And by the way, I probably, because I have so many other things going on, I probably didn't notice anyway. If anything, I'm glad you didn't post and you took your time to write something that was meaningful right. as opposed to just spamming me. Yeah. Thanks for not just putting content out there. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's offensive. Right. Just being a, a content generation machine. <laughs> no one wants that in their inbox. If, if that happens, what? You're going to unsubscribe, right? Yeah. If you just keep like getting spammed by someone, you're like, oh, th- this isn't adding value any- anyway. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing. Like, there, there are a lot of musicians I subscribe to in my inbox. And I like getting updates, even if I find out they're going on tour in Indiana and Ohio and Michigan. Like, it's cool for me to see, like, a little update from Andy Davis. Yeah. To, and, and, oh, that's cool. He's doing something like that. So I don't mind something like that. That's not spammy or promo. It just, it, it, it's overly promo It just tells me what's going on in his sort of life touring. Mm-hmm. Now, if he were to send me reminders every day that he was going to Indianapolis, I'd be like, dude, what are you doing? Right. And, and so... Uh, there is that fine line. You want to be able to communicate without beating them over the head. And that goes back to this first point. Stay on task, relevant and concise. Second point is the feel good stage. So one, so wonderful and tension relieving for you. You don't even notice the other person is not listening. So um, this is kind of a problem, right? Where you, you or I or anyone, we just start like, I, I have to get this information out. I'm this... I, I'm this bottle of uh, 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 
carbonated information and as soon as i pop the top it just squirts everywhere yeah it's that champagne celebration of of um it, it's an explosion of information and and it feels good to you but it's bad because they don't even notice the other person is not listening i'm just mm. spouting 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 have you ever been talking and all of a sudden you notice like oh they're like they've got the dead stare. Oh, dude! As soon as someone they're like, not listening. As soon as someone like breaks eye contact with me, mm. and I could be in the middle of a story, if they break eye contact and mm. they're looking at their phone, or you know they're looking off in, in the distance, they're looking at a girl walking by. Like I just stop the story, and half the time they don't ask me to finish. Maybe the other half the time they'll be like, "Oh, could you finish that story?" And I will finish it. But fifty yeah. percent of the time I'm like, "Oh, I've lost your attention." And this story is pointless, isn't it? <laughs> it's funny you say that. I'm trying to think. Uh, I think it was Raymond Carver, the short story writer, who said in order to find a good short story, uh, what he'll do is like go talk to his friends. Like he'll go to like dinner with his friends or lunch with his friends mm. and tell the first half of the story. Yeah. And then he'll just trail off of something else. And it, he knows the story's good if people come back and say, hey, uh, back to that one story you were telling though can you finish that and then he, awesome. he, he knows like yeah i can finish okay it. like yeah i can finish that and, and now is, i can write this about is it. interesting not just with me but with other people exactly so yeah. just be and then so, so another tip from an, another writer david foster wallace he, he would he would tell his students uh, that you are both you're both simultaneously more interesting and less interesting than you think and his biggest challenge as a teacher was trying to convince his students that they were more interesting they had more interesting stuff to write about and they were also less interesting your trip to the grocery store to shop for oranges probably isn't interesting mm -hmm. but there is something about that that might be interesting the way that i would reframe that is there's something about that that might serve the greater good there's some sort of lesson there yeah. in fact uh, you and I, when we were on tour in 2014, we wrote about a story about oranges, about there are bruises. We bought this bag of oranges that were oh, sitting yeah. in the backseat of your Corolla. Yeah. And the, 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 Sean, put a link to that in the show notes, if you would, podcast, Sean. Um, God, it, that seems so long ago. It was four years ago, but it seems like a <laughs> lifetime ago. Yeah. And, uh, it was called There Will Be Bruises. But the, the story wasn't about shopping for oranges, right? Right. It, it was about, the the bruises that we were taking on tour yeah it was all, a metaphor yeah exactly and so there's something interesting there but it's probably not the thing that you find to be interesting right yeah and then uh the third stage of the conversation uh he lists here is the off-track attempt to to recover stage the off-track attempt to recover stage rather than re-engaging by listening the usual impulse is to talk even more in an effort to regain their interest <laughs> And so, so see the aforementioned Harvard results. And, and, and so yeah, I think that's true. Like, where it's like, uh, I, I know I, I find, especially with people who I find to be way more interesting in me than me, like, uh, I think back to, we've done two podcasts now with Rob Bell. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I wish would have happened there is I would have, uh, I would have heeded this advice, which I knew this advice, but I wish I would have heeded it more and just shut up and, and listen more mm -hmm. and allow more talking and ask the appropriate questions that are, that are short enough that like just allow me to get out of the way, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of feeling the need to re-engage uh, by by talking more instead of listening, right? Mm -hmm. Goulston writes that he too was guilty of this, even after writing a book called Just Listen. That's when coach and NPR radio host Marty, uh, Marty, Nim, Marty Nimco told him that he needed to start practicing what he preached. <laughs> Holy moly, you guys should be on NPR and they're like, hey, practice what you preach. You're, you wrote a book called Just Listen? You know Maybe what? Maybe you need to just listen. This is a great, like, 
uh, example of how none of us are perfect, man. Right. And like, th- there is not the per- there's not a perfect uh, conversationalist. There's not a perfect minimalist. Uh, you know, I think this whole journey for me, I don't know about you, Josh, but for me, it's not about being perfect. It's not about having like the perfect amount of stuff as much as building really good habits in my life yeah. and being able to talk about how I can overcome these, uh, for the lack of a better word, these like s- these, these, uh, sins that I am committing to like to have less and less sins. It makes me think yeah. about the, you know, more wins than losses. Right. It's not about just winning all the time as much as it is about, yeah, being writing a book about being a good conversationalist and and uh, you know someone calling you out on it, uh, you can say yes. Like that's why I wrote the book because I too struggle with this, and this is how I deal with it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But for me, my life is perfect because I do have the right number of things. Right. What number is that? They're they're perfectly organized. I can't tell you the number. You have to buy my book. <laughs> I'm gonna reveal it. The ten <laughs> steps to have the perfect amount of things. <laughs> I want to be you when I grow up. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Uh, Nimco offered the following. Uh, traffic light strategy to rein in the chatter. You get a green light during the first 20 seconds. Your listener is liking you as long as your statement is relevant to the conversation and hopefully in service of the other person. So the first 20 seconds sort of the intro, right? Mm-hmm. You get the green light and, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, you have 20 seconds to be really succinct. You know, they call this an elevator pitch in some places, mm-hmm. right? So so what can I do to present the most relevant thing? Sometimes I think that's just asking a question because you can do that in way less than 20 seconds and it opens up the floor for the other person, allows you to listen. And all of a sudden you seem like a great conversationalist yeah. when you ask a good quality question. Absolutely. The yellow light is the next 20 seconds. Now the risk is increasing that the other person is beginning to lose interest or think you're long-winded. So if you're beyond 20 seconds, they're starting, okay. Unless you're really compelling. So go back, going back to the Rob Bell example, you and I saw him do a two-day event in Laguna Beach. Mm-hmm. He spoke for nine hours a day for two days straight. It was incredible. And I was like, he, but he also knew when to take the appropriate breaks. Like two hours in, he'd be like, all right, let's go take a break for tacos. Let's go take a break for surfing. And, and you're like, but wait, just finish the point. And that was the whole point. Like he kept you going there. Yeah. It was like a uh, 18 hour green light. It yeah. felt like, God, I wish it's, it's hard for me to talk for an hour for these podcasts, let alone nine hours by myself. Yeah. Without notes. I mean, or, or yeah, actually he made the notes as he went like, well, it, during the breaks, <laughs> or he came back with like a napkin that just had like, yes. yeah, he is, uh, he's a, he is a Mozart speaker man <laughs> yeah he definitely is uh and uh, go back and listen to both of the podcast if you want to, to check them out we did one in studio here with him and he was the first guest on our podcast episode 83 it's just called rob uh we did a live event with him in la and uh then of course you once you get to the 40 second mark that's the red light ryan yes there's an occasional time you want to run that red light and keep talking but the vast majority of the time you'd better stop or you're in danger and so i, I just like to say this right i can think of some people like rob or or others where i want to talk far less like i just want to show up and listen mm. our friend patrick roan who's also been on the podcast was that episode 84 85 sean um it'll be in the show notes yeah it will be in the show notes but uh uh, we did a live event with him in Minneapolis, but whenever I, I I've had conversation, he was in our documentary as well. Mm-hmm. Whenever I have a conversation with him, we go to a coffee shop. 
I talk maybe 10% of the time and he sometimes apologizes for being long winded, but I'm just like, no, like I'm learning from you. Yeah. And he's got and, one of those voices too, man. Yeah, he does. It's just like he could like, just, you know, read me the newspaper. I would be like so interested by it. <laughs> the phone book. The phone book. C. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so I, I think that, uh, when you have someone like, like Rob or, or like, like Patrick Roan, Sometimes it just makes sense to, but but you also have to recognize the the setting as well. So there are times where it makes sense for me to butt in, but often with both of them, I'm butting in with questions like, mm. "How can you help me grow in a responsible way?" or "How are you using technology these days?" And and I find that when I do that, when I ask the appropriate questions, I can treat it as like the student teacher. There are other times though that I'm going to be the teacher. Mm. I need to make sure it's appropriate. I can't just go up to someone on the street and say, "Hey, I'm your teacher for today." And here's my 60 seconds of pontification. <laughs> no, that's a crazy person, yeah. right? And, and so what I, what I need to do is make sure I have the appropriate setting, know when I can go past the red light because someone wants me to, right? Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a conversational emergency. That's when you go past the red light. Observing the time it, observing the time isn't the only strategy for engaging in healthy communication. Goulston writes that the next step is to determine why you talk so much. One reason may be that... You're trying to impress your conversation partner. So you're trying to be impressive, right? Mm -hmm. We do that through our things as well, obviously, yeah. through our mementos, which we're going to talk about today, especially if you aren't all that confident on the inside. Some people babble out of nerves, attempting to self-soothe while chattering. Still others have never been taught the fine of art of asking the right questions that will draw the other person out and then staying quiet while, the, while they answer. As Bergman says, we all know how to be silent. The question is, can we withstand the pressure to speak? Mm. I think you were to translate that to minimalism. It's like, we all know how to own fewer things, but can we withstand the pressure to, to let go yeah. and to not bring in the superfluous things in our lives? And like you said, it's different for each of us. Yeah. And it's different for every conversation. What is superfluous in this conversation? It's like when I quickly got off the basketball talk. We can go back to basketball talk and talk about it for half an hour. This just isn't the appropriate time for that, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's easy to take a quick off-ramp and notice that. It's like, okay, what's the quick off-ramp here? And then moving on to whatever the next thing is. So we'll put a link to that. Uh, fast company good article find. yeah i think it was just really good follow-up for for last week and uh one one other thing that i i forgot to mention or really didn't didn't drive home last week is frequency doesn't equal friendship so there is a minimal maximum for you yeah just because you hang out with someone every day doesn't mean it's the best friendship in the world yeah i can think the easy example are co-workers of course you spend a lot of time with them every day because you have to right if mm -hmm. you're if you're working at the cubicle next to someone you're probably going to spend a lot of time with them. and hopefully you can build a good acquaintanceship with them and and your good acquaintances you get along really well and you have a nice working dynamic but just because you're around someone doesn't doesn't mean they're your friend. And the opposite is also true. I think some of my closest relationships, some of my closest primary and secondary relationships are people I see once or twice a year. Mm. And uh, I mean, even people like my, like my brother who I've been really reconnecting with within the last year, we took different paths after turning 18. And, and uh, well, he's a year older than me, so he was 19. And uh, it's like we ever had some huge falling out or something. We just drifted in different directions and continued to drift and drifted a little bit closer from time to time. But uh, now that we're at a certain stage in our life, we're both in our, our late 30s, we've been able to sort of reflect back and we're communicating a lot more. And, and so sometimes 
that distance creates the path for you to reconnect in a way Mm -hmm. but other times there there are friends like my friend adam in 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 tennessee who i see him once or twice a year if i'm lucky we might have a conversation once a month or once every other month and there are some of the most meaningful conversations i have Mm. and part of that is because of the distance if we were to chat every single day it it may we they may not have the uh, this conversation may not have the same weight Mm. but we can go away and sort of like we we basically he and i do a podcast once a month without recording it is the way that i look (laughs) at i'm like this would be if we were recording this would be the best podcast ever yeah and uh the part of me like that makes it even more precious because it's not being recorded for posterity it's just sort of out there in the ether and it's gone and it makes this this beautiful ephemeral experience and we can do that once a month and come back and so one of the things i want to just drive home is you can have great relationships with someone who's on the other side of the country other side of the world derek sivers talked about this his five closest friends three of them he has never met in person <laughs> but he talks them on the phone all the time yeah and so think about that as well. You can have unconventional relationships and still have them be rather meaningful. Absolutely. You yep. ready for these voicemails? Let's do it. Who's our first question from, Ryan? We got a question from Georgia in Montreal. Or what was it? Montreal in Georgia. Uh, I had it right the first time. <laughs> All right, let's do it. <laughs> After listening to the nostalgia episode, I took a long, hard look at the hoard of baby clothes and other baby, like baby items that no longer fit or add value to my son's life but that I was holding on to for a possible future child. This process forced me to really set my intentions and priorities for the next few years, and it shifted my perspective in many ways. To be honest, though, I do sometimes have feelings of loss or other difficult emotions when having to make decisions. And um, whenever I let go of things, even though it can feel good, I sometimes feel this loss. So... How do you deal with the or tolerate the emotional journey that minimalism can take you on, even when there's joy with, let's say, for example, keeping just a few select items that trigger the happy feelings? How do you deal with the ambivalent feelings when letting go of other stuff? All right, Ryan. So so the word ambivalent here, I I would use a different word. So I'm ambivalent about ambivalence. So if you're ambivalent toward an item, I tend to let it go because if it's, if I'm ambivalent, it's like, why do I want to hold on to this thing? Right. Yeah. Just to to be clear, ambivalence uh, for me, it it means like basically having not feel, uh, not a feeling one way or the other, a feeling that's not one way or the other. It is in between, uh, you know, either pain or pleasure, it's it's nothing. So I think maybe what George is saying is ambivalence or worse. Like if, mm. if you feel ambivalence or you feel a negative feeling, which mm-hmm. clearly she does with some of these, she has these hordes of baby clothes and other baby items mm-hmm. that, that she's talking about. And she's holding on to them just in case she has another kid in, in, in the future, right? She's not really sure. It's not like she's pregnant right now and she knows there's a, another kid. Mm-hmm. At least uh, that wasn't clear from from her message. So, so she also mentioned that triggers and uh, she has these, these uh, holding on to some items that trigger these positive memories. And I just want to say, yes, congratulations, because the memories aren't in the things, the memories are in us. And sometimes though, those things can trigger the memories that are inside us. So by holding on to a few items, having fewer things, we can actually use those to trigger those good feelings in us. However, by watering it down with tens of thousands of old baby items just sitting around in boxes and bins, those aren't really triggers for old memories. Those are just weights that are holding you back. Yeah, it sounded like they were just-in-case items for her. Rather, yeah. Rather than... Just uh, for when. Right. 
So, no, I mean, so, so that to me, that is, you know, earlier when I talked about how this podcast could be called Boundaries, um, like for someone like Georgia, she has to be able to create these boundaries. Mm. Like, it, it, so when it comes uh, to just in case, of course, we have the 2020 uh, just in case rule. We've got the 90-90 rule. Right. There are different rules that you and I have set up for ourselves yes. to help us uh, not hold on to these things. So with Georgia, I mean, the first thing I thought of was, well, she does not, you know, she's not sure she's going to have a kid or not. So what are the rules that she has for herself in keeping these baby clothes? Yeah. So, uh, you know, having the rule of just throwing them out or just donating them, I should say, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's, I guess that's okay. That doesn't seem like, it doesn't seem very deliberate to me if she's mm. still wonder, you know, questioning whether or not she's going to have a kid in the next year or so. Yeah. And then holding on to everything just in case that also... Uh, doesn't seem like the best solution. There, there's something in the middle there, and really, like Georgia's going to have to figure out what that middle is for her. Yeah, and so, so asking yourself, what is your outcome here? Because if you do plan to have another kid, then the question is when, right? Yes. So if you're saying I'm going to have a kid in two years, okay, great. Then, then the next question is, what are the items that you want to hold on to for that kid? Because clearly, you don't want to hold on to all of these things. Most likely, you've learned some lessons from the first kid. You always do. Right. I know I've learned a whole lot of lessons from having Ella. She just turned five recently. We took her down to Disneyland. Posted that crazy picture of her on the on the. That was uh, so good on stories. Oh my god! It was just like <laughs> it was just good. I had to re-download Instagram to post it, and it was just this, uh, you know, zoom in, zoom in. You can actually find it on my Instagram stories right now. I put it on. Is the, it still uh, on there? Well, they, uh, you know, what are those things called? Um, um, uh, dude, I don't. Yeah, the at the top, uh, the the Instagram stories tabs. You have these different tabs. The yeah. moments, moments they're called. Oh, and so, so it's like it's under the, the moments. Yeah, it's under the the family. Did moment. not even know that existed. Yeah, it's under the family moment on my uh, my Instagram stories. I'm just at Joshua Fields Milburn. If you want to see the most so good, it's the best family picture we've ever taken, <laughs> uh, and it is pure. It's remember uh, uh, Leo Babalta's term, joy fear. Yeah, that is. She personified the expression of joy fear, especially when you zoom in our face. It was the precipice of total terror and also utter and complete joy at the same moment. When I saw that picture when we came off the ride, I was like, oh my God, like Ella's, she's never going to trust us again. Uh But like, because she looks so scared. Right. But dude, she was like, can we ride that again? (laughs) Yeah. And I go, can we do that one again? Sweetheart, that line is two hours long. I don't care. Let's ride it again. (laughs) Yeah. She loved it. It was like the, what's it called? Splash Mountain. It's a log flume ride. And yeah. it was just scary enough that she loved it. Anyway, I've learned a whole lot of lessons through my five years with her. Well, I, when I met Bex, Ella was was one. So three and a half years with her. And um, I've learned a lot of lessons. So if we ever had another kid in the future, which we likely won't, but if we had a second kid, there were certainly things I learned from that, from this uh crash test dummy named Ella that we <laughs> we will carry forward right no I, I and the, the truth is like I learned really he, Ella wasn't the crash test dummy I was I was the crash test dummy for parenting right <laughs> like I'm learning I, I'm, I'm learning how to become a better parent it's one of the hardest things I've ever done I, it's probably the hardest thing I've ever done mm. and, and especially for me with with my personality and, and so I've learned a lot and I know that if I had a second kid carrying that forward there are some things literal things physical things I'd get rid of and also different experiences I bring in more of and bring in less and so what are the things you're gonna hold on to and then of course if two years from now you're like okay I've decided um, 
I'm not going to get pregnant, then you give yourself full permission. There's a, a drop-dead date on on these items. There's an expiration date for these items, yeah. right? And you want to give yourself permission to let go, though. So maybe that, instead of having the 90-90 rule, it's the one-year rule. And if you're not pregnant in a year, then you decide, you know what, I'm not getting value from these things anymore. Someone else could get value from them, so I better let them go so, so someone else can. And that, Ryan, goes back to your point, differ- differentiating the just-in-case items, which... Don't hold on to them if they're just in case. Hold on to them if they're just for when and you can honestly say you know when you're going to use them. Mm-hmm. Right now, Georgia is somewhere right in between. And so you need to set up a rule for yourself that says, at this point, they're no longer a just for when item. This is when they become just in case. And when it's a just in case item, I'm getting it the hell out of here. Yeah. Well, it's funny because like when it comes to just in case items, there's always going to be a reason to hold on. it. I mean, hoarders... Uh, like the true sense of the word hoarder, uh, you walk into someone's home, you can't see their floor. They've got newspapers stacked everywhere. They are holding on to those newspapers just in case. Yes. Now, most people, they're not going to have stacks of newspapers. Right. Uh, they're going to let them go for one reason or the other. Yeah. I would encourage you know people to look at that reason and see if they can apply it to other areas of their life. What a great point. And see if it makes sense. But you know, listening to George uh, George's question, I uh, two things came to mind, and I'm not trying to make this black or white, but. I feel like one or two things are happening here with Georgia. Either a she is holding on to stuff just in case, or or, uh, or maybe um, when she maybe she got she let it go. I, I couldn't really tell by the question that she let it go or was no, that's how I can. okay. So let's let's say she does let it go, mm-hmm. and she experiences regret a yeah. year from now, and she's like, oh man, like I really really should not have let that stuff go, and here are the reasons why. Mm then that's okay. Like it's, again, there is no perfect minimalist. You might get rid of something that you wish you would have hung on to, but learn from that lesson. Mm. Don't, don't continue to, uh, you know, just throw everything away to only experience that same regret every single time. I, I, I can't, I wish I had a sexy answer when people are like, Hey guys, what's one thing you got rid of that you really feel a lot of regret with. And like, I, I don't have a sexy answer for that. and uh, But I'm sure there are people out there who have went down this road and they do feel regret of getting rid of something. Like really look at that regret and ask like, how could have I avoided that? And here's why I needed to avoid that. Hmm. The other the other thing that I think might be going on is you know, Georgia might just have, you know, these, ten- she might have had these tendencies to hold on to stuff from the beginning of life. I mean, I, I, I have had mentoring students who they're like, you know, I got rid of this one thing and it's really, really driving me crazy. I don't know why it's driving me crazy, but it's really, uh, it weighs on me. And when I think about it, you know, I'm a little upset that I let it go. And and a lot of the times I'll dig, you know, kind of deep into that. And what I find out is that these are feelings that they've had ever since they were a kid. They were, you know, collected rocks, they collected sticks, you know, and then they got rid of their stick pile and they felt bad about letting it go. Uh, my point is, is that there are these emotions that, some, that we are born with sometimes that, emotionally makes sense because we feel them right but logically they don't make sense yeah and and i think that that is a very important um uh thing to 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 recognize essentially like i think about my uh my my i'm very prone to getting angry really easily Uh and i used to think that i was justified and especially my relationships as soon as i get offended as soon as i get jealous as soon as I get insecure, and yeah. then I would, you know, I get angry, and I would voice my my angry feeling, yeah. and I felt completely justified in doing that. Well, once I realized that that 
me acting on that is actually ruining relationships. Mm-hmm. I had to really question whether or not those emotions, whether they logically made sense for me to have. Yeah, you can be right or you can be in love. You can't be both. Right, exactly, man. So, so you know, when I look at like me getting angry really easily, I know that when I have this anger, this feeling of you know anger shoot through me, I've got to be able to look at that and say, okay, Ryan, I know you feel this way. Yeah. But but really, like, how would how would the best version of yourself react in this situation so i have tools to help calm me down whether it's you know taking a deep breath or a couple deep breaths or whether it's like rephrasing the way something was uh uh, positioned to me whatever it might be i have different tools to help me deal with this emotion what i'm getting at is is that it's important for me to recognize that this emotion that i have Mm. is not valid it is not adding any value it is you know by and large it's not adding any value so i'm just trying to relate here with georgia where she's got to be able to look at this feeling that that this hoarding feeling that she has and she's got to look at that and say is this valid if it isn't then she has to find ways to kind of tell that 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 hoarding mentality or that you know just in case mentality to to kind of sit on the back burner yes i understand that i feel that way but logically i'm not going to sit here and you know have a storage uh storage locker full of of baby clothes i have to find the in between and she might get rid of the baby clothes and she still might feel a little bit of uh of a loss mm-hmm. she she still might feel a little bit of regret mm. but to me what really is important is whether or not that regret is valid or not yes yeah well and, and so so you're bringing up a couple things that, that i, I want to talk about one is i don't think the the fear of potential regret so the if you if the fear of potential regret is not a good reason to not let go absolutely and because one you don't know whether or not if that's the only reason you're holding on to something is because you might regret it in some hypothetical future then it's probably not adding value to your life. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to, and it's likely not going to add value to your life, right? Mm-hmm. Now, you're also talking about emotions and feelings. And I, I, I've always uh, equated those two as being synonymous. Mm-hmm. But I went to a Sam Harris event recently. Um, oh, man, well, he, was, he was there with an author, um, Antonio Diagostino, I believe. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm, I'm messing up the name, but he has a new book out that delineates the, 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 diff- the difference between emotion and feeling a feeling is something that we experience internally an emotion is something that we react on either either consciously or unconsciously an emotion the the feeling could be fear the emotion is that we um the heart the the heart starts beating quickly and we start getting the sweaty palms mm, that interesting that is, and so there is this differentiation between the two and so what she might be feeling it are these emotions because it's making her feel a particular way mm-hmm. the, the 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 sense of urgency of i can't let go because i'm going to need this so i'm going to hold on because otherwise like, i feel this like anxious fe- uh, emotion anxiety can be an emotion and, and uh the the feeling it is like you said it may or may not be justified right there, there isn't a real fear here of letting go right. because the worst thing that can happen if you let go of these baby clothes the worst thing that can happen is someone Someone else is going to get some value from them and you might have to buy some used baby clothes in the future right all right man georgia i'd love to send you a copy of our book it's called essential and uh we wrote 150 essays about intentional living so there's 12 different areas of intentional living that we identified and one of them has to do with stuff 
So the things that we bring into our lives. So podcast, Sean, if you could reach out to Georgia and send her an audiobook copy of Essential. It's called Essential Essays by the Minimalists. And uh, if you like this podcast, you'll definitely like the audiobook version of Essential. Or if she wants the book book version or the ebook version, please reach out to her and send her that. Georgia, thanks for your question. Our next question is from Suzanne in Munich, Germany. I love writing a lot, and I write a gratitude journal every day. I try to do it on my computer, but it does not feel natural. I want to be disconnected when I do so. Now I have a big collection of journals from the past years and simply cannot get rid of them. I thought about scanning them, but it does not feel right to read them on my computer. And I do read them from time to time and feel amazing about all the gratitude. Do you have any advice? So do we have any advice? I mean, uh, here's some things I probably would have told Georgia on on the last voicemail, but I think these apply just as much to to Suzanne. So, so um, she, she said she's tried to write on the computer, but it doesn't feel natural. Mm-hmm. Nothing feels natural at first. It was the first time you've done it. Right. The uh, first time I played basketball, it didn't feel natural to me. Right. <laughs> um, and, and I think that's true. The first time I wrote a sentence, it didn't feel natural to me. The first time I tried to write a book, it sure as hell didn't feel natural to me. The first time I wrote a blog post, it didn't feel natural to me. What feels natural is something we've done for a long time that all of a sudden seems natural to us, mm-hmm. but it took a lot long time to, to build up that skill. It doesn't mean that you don't have the talent for it. It means you, you took time to, to gratitude journal every single day. So something that I would recommend, and this could apply to, to Georgia as well, but for Suzanne, um, I, I think that that you probably want to write about the experience and the emotions you're feeling of, of letting go. And one of the things you can do is start a blog, uh, and and maybe you can keep it a private blog even if you want, and, and, and unless you want to make it public, which I think is great. Uh, you, you can learn out loud, as we say. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, Sean, can you put a link? We so many people ask us how we started our blog. We we have a blog post called "How to Start a Successful Blog." Now you can de- redefine success in a bunch of different ways. It doesn't mean having millions of readers. It can mean that you're doing it every day, or that you're learning a lot in public. And so the first thing I'll recommend, yeah, is is write in public if you can, right? And then some other practical tips. Why not? take pictures or scan those uh, journals. Or, and they said, well, I don't know if I'm about doing all of them. Why don't you just do one and keep the journal? See how, you, how it feels. And then anytime you need to go back and reference that one journal, Mm. Go back and reference it online first. And by the way, some of the ones that you scan, you can make them searchable. So you don't have to flip through a hundred different pages to find what you want. So, and, and if you don't want to scan it yourself, you don't want to rip out the pages, there are places that you can scan. Uh, scan uh, you can send your, your, your journals or whatever off. They'll scan it for you and either send it back to you or you can have them dispose of it as well. Let's put a link uh, to at least one of the scanning places that um, we've, we've had recommended to us recently. So uh, Sean, if you could do that that and then um on top of that uh when it comes to the the physical things um getting back to to georgia is maybe take a picture of some of the things you're letting go of if you're still trying to hold on to those triggers of memories i don't want to lose the i know the memories aren't the things but i want to hold on to these triggers even of the journals yeah then you could take a picture of it and and i think you can let go yeah Uh, some questions that i would ask susan uh, ryan you tell me what you think about these um why are you asking this question yeah. And, and and for me it's it's it sounds to me like maybe you want to get rid of these journals or or maybe you want to know what you should want. 
Does that make sense? It does. I, I think so. I I, 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 I guess let me let me rephrase it. Maybe she thinks like I should want to get rid of these journals. Right. Like I, I was just thinking that sometimes someone who's like, okay, you know what? I, I'm going to be a minimalist. I'm going to apply this this philosophy to my philosophy to my life. And Josh and Ryan, they don't have a lot of journals. Right. So I shouldn't have a lot of journals. Right. So I should want to get rid of these, but I really don't want to. Yeah. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely. And yep. may, maybe she actually does want to get rid of them. Maybe they are, are a burden to her. Yeah. But if they're not a burden to you, then here's your permission to hold on to them, please. Yeah. You, you don't have to feel c- compelled to get rid of everything to be a minimalist. In fact, think about our friend uh, Drew, who did the music for our, our documentary Minimalism. Um, he has uh, this, he's getting ready to do the Kickstarter project for this really nice handcrafted journal um, that has like a refillable liner in it. And it's gorgeous. It is, he showed me like a preliminary video to it. It is beautiful. And he's like, I, I like to have one journal on my desk and he, I hear my sketches and, and everything. So I want it to be one really high quality, beautiful item that also I can replace and remove the inserts and put them on my shelf so I can go back and reference them because I use this all the time for my work. I'm like, mm. that sounds awesome. And you, A, you don't have to justify it to me, but it sounds to me like that would make sense. And if I needed to work in that same way, mm-hmm. then I would want the same thing, a beautiful object that uh, I found value in. And it sounds like Suzanne finds value and more value in the act of journaling than she does in the object itself. The object is just a vehicle that, that provides the value. And so maybe a blog could be just as good of an answer and it could allow her to expose her gratitude in public and maybe, just maybe, that'll help other people as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the question that, that I would ask uh, Susan, Suzanne here is, are these causing more pain than pleasure. Yeah, is it a net positive or net negative? That's I mean that is th- that's only for Suzanne to know. For me it'd be a net negative because I don't want to have a bookshelf full of journals. That's my preference. Mm. And preferences are what make the world go around. That's right. So if Susan's preference if she if she prefers to have a bookshelf full of her journals then then you know that's great. I mean she's obviously asking this question because she feels uh, a little bit of uh, a, a little bit of pain. So again, she's got to look at it and say, "Is am I experiencing more pain uh, than I am pleasure here? Like I thought about when I was uh, answering her question, I thought, man, my car, it causes me a lot of pain. Like I got to like get the oil changed. Uh, it's, it's, it's an older car. Like, you know, it leaks when it rains. Mm-hmm. Um, That's it, why we moved to Los Angeles. So just so your car stopped. <laughs> exactly. Although for some reason I had this rust spot that is like, I got to get something again, got to do something about this rust spot uh-huh. moving to LA next to the ocean. Like it is, this rust is like spreading pretty quickly now. Oh wow! So there, there's all this pain associated with my car, but well, wow. a, I'm not going to get rid of it because LA is a driving city, unfortunately. Uh huh. Um, I'm not going to go into debt to get another car, right. but ultimately, you know, there are these reasons I have to keep my car, even though it cause, causes me pain. It, it, it is a net positive yeah. for me to have in my life. Yeah. So, so that's really, I think where, uh, Suzanne needs to look, you know, the, the other thing too is, are there rules that she can set up for herself with these journals? Are there boundaries that she can set up? that maybe it's somewhere in the middle of scanning and getting rid of every single physical journal yeah, and then not doing anything. Right. You know, where is the middle ground? She could, uh, let's see, I've got some stuff written down here. Um, so if it was me, I'd look at, okay, because she says she does go back to them and she reads them. 
which is great. Like yeah. I've never went back and read any of my journal stuff, but and, and the only thing I'll push back on on Suzanne about here is, do you actually do that, or is it an aspirational thing? Right. Uh, sometimes we, hope we 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 get books or whatever. We have journals because we aspire to do something. I aspire to go back and look at that, but do I actually do it? Yeah. So she said, you know, and I sometimes go back to read the journals. Does that really mean? And one day I know I'm going to want to go back yeah. and read these journals. You're absolutely right. She's and, got, and do you she's get value from it is the next question, right? Yeah. Do you actually get value from going back or do you do it out of a sense of obligation? So, so you know, uh, let's say that she is actively reading some of these entries. Uh-huh. Let, let's make that assumption. That's what she said in the, in the voicemail. So let's just make that assumption that yeah. she is going back and she's experiencing uh, some of these gratitude uh, journal entries that she's written in the past. Um, I would say, again, like which ones hasn't she read in a while or haven't read at all. Like you could start there. That's a boundary. I'm going to get rid of all the journals I haven't even looked at. Mm. Or uh, which which ones does she keep going back to? Mm. Like could she make like, you know, a best of, yeah. <laughs> a best of uh, uh, gratitude moments in, And in maybe blog about that in public. Again, can you imagine, Ryan, if you and I just did our blog in private, like in a journal? Yeah. Like how much... Uh, how much we would have wasted uh, not helping other people like mm. our, our attention our time our talent our skills if we would have just done like if we would have just come we would have come in this room at once a week and just have this conversation and not publish the podcast there'd be a bunch of people who weren't getting value from it. Now, again, you, you have to realize not everything you write is interesting, but what are the interesting parts from those journals? Maybe the best of is such a great way to convey that to the world and the world will get value out of that. Yeah, dude, I was thinking she could like she could create a boundary like, okay, here are the top 50 things that I'm grateful for. Yeah. And anytime I'm, I'm having a bad day, I'm feeling upset. I can go to this list of 50 things and remind myself why I am so grateful. And maybe, you know, some things will fall off and other things will get added to that list. But I'm just encouraging Suzanne here to, again, create some boundaries around these journals. A, uh, you know, or I I guess like the first question I would ask myself if I was Suzanne is, uh, what am I getting out of keeping these journals? Hmm. And then what am I going to get? Uh, out of it if I get rid of these journals she's got to ask herself questions like that to figure out what her what her exact preference is and what's going to make her feel best about about these journals there's not one right way to do it I wish I could be like you know what oh Suzanne thank you for that journal question Josh and I just wrote an essay on this the perfect amount of journals to have is is 10 journals (laughs) (laughs) because that's way too many for me right right right. and it may not be enough for her and so the the question then is what is enough Mm-hmm. And, and I think really that's what minimal, minimalism is. It's the art of having enough. Yeah, Suzanne, I'd love to send you a copy of the, the German version of Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. It just came out in Germany, and it's I believe it's in German. I wasn't able to read all the words in it, but it certainly looked German to me. The, it's my favorite cover that we've ever had. Um, I'm looking I'm looking forward to see, get, seeing the physical version. It hasn't shown up here at the studio yet, but it's in uh, Germany now. So, uh, yeah, Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life in Germany. As soon as we get a physical copy of that in, Sean, if you could send it to her, uh, or if she wants the audiobook, it's not in German. Um, <laughs> but uh, if she wants that, we'll be happy to send her a, an audiobook version of Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. All right. Uh, oh, we'd love to hear what you have to say. So if you have a, a comment or a tip about mementos or boundaries, 
uh, including advice for any of our callers today, leave us a voicemail, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo right from your phone to podcast at theminimalists.com. We'll air our favorite comments and tips on a future episode, and stay tuned to the end of this episode for some of our favorite comments and tips from last week and previous weeks. Ryan, what time is it? You know what time it is. It is time for our lightning round where we answer questions from social media. I wish I had the dimmer switch near me. I would like put it up and down and <laughs> for the video podcast yes, create some lightning sure effect podcast sean can do something he can add some lightning in later <laughs> we, we don't ask enough of him already um uh but we're hiring a filmmaker soon we'll talk about that in a little bit anyway we're on uh, twitter and facebook and instagram at the minimalist is our handle on all three of those platforms during the lightning round ryan and i each do our best to answer every question which is a short shareable less than 140 character response we also put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like and now you can find all of our quotes in one place minimalmaxims.com thank you very much to jessica lynn williams she is our social media manager and a talented person she is loving and doing a great job with the constraints of our new social media strategy yeah uh for those of you who don't know about it we did a whole podcast episode i think it was like 118 or 119 called social media uh talking about how the minimalists are using social media in 2018 we're we're using a lot differently we're trying to use it to educate and inform and also um propagate our art as uh, as opposed to generate more content and so uh yeah you can find us on all those platforms and also our quotes over at minimalmaxims.com all right, our first lightning round question is from Amy. I'm not attached to the gobs of knickknacks and heirlooms I inherited, but what should I save that my children might appreciate? All well, of it, Amy. <laughs> buy a big storage unit. <laughs> and then buy a bigger one. <laughs> right. <laughs> so so the stat that is always staggering to me, there are five times the storage units as the number of Starbucks uh, in, in this country. And there are a lot of Starbucks. It's crazy. And so, um, and by the way, our houses are twice as large as they were 50, 60 years ago. And, and our garages are overflowing with stuff so much so that we can't fit our cars in our garages. And still, we have the need for these storage lockers. I'm trying to like think. So the United States, I'm, I'm guessing from that stat, has by far the most storage out of any other country in the world. I would think so. I mean, maybe there's places like Dubai or something. But yeah. yeah. But, it, but I'm just thinking like what... How does that make us better? Or how does that make us happier? Uh, In fact, it'd like, be great if it did. The data would show that it makes us depressed. <laughs> right. I mean, we, we are, I don't know how old this stat is, but I know, you know, five, six years ago, the most depressed country in the world was the United States. Mm. And it's also uh, one of the richest countries in the world. Yeah. And there's something, um, oh, what's. Uh, I can't think of the term where you got, you know, two graphs that are compared. There's something like, uh, there's, there's something that is signifying an inverse relationship. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. There is an inverse relationship, I think, between, uh, between debt, mm -hmm. uh, the things we have storage. I don't know. I'm just, that, that's just my two cents, man. I could, I, well, be, I could I, be way I, off base. Well, there. I agree with you. And so, so before I get to my really short answer here, um, maybe the thing is when, when you think about it just practically like when's the last time you got excited about a storage unit dude this every any storage unit i've ever had in my life has been a burden yes absolutely that's a good that's a minimal maxim there sean um you have to attribute it to both of us um <laughs> so my, my short answer is too few is greater than too much 
What I mean by that is sometimes we have to deprive ourselves temporarily to figure out what actually adds value to our lives. Getting rid of the excess stuff makes room for for what? Well, for experience, but also for the things that we're truly going to find value in. And by the way, I think your kid's future self will likely appreciate if you let go so they don't have to. Yeah. You remember that the event we had and like the uh, the couple was like, man, our parents are getting ready to pass away and we got all this stuff to deal with and like it was stressing them out so bad. Yeah. And then like the next people who had a comment to say they were like you know like right now we were holding on to all this stuff for our kids and we're here to get the leverage to like let go and like seeing those two people stressing over their parents stuff it was like a great signifier for them on probably what they're doing to their kids by holding on to all that stuff yeah 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 my short answer would be when it comes to saving precious heirlooms avoid the guessing game by asking your kids what they want now if your kids are one and two years old and they can't answer it, well, you can do one or two things. Like you can just hold on to everything and uh, uh, wait until, you know, they will (laughs) give you an answer. Um, Or you could just kind of start paring down on this stuff right now. I'm not encouraging uh, Amy here to just throw away everything. Yeah. But certainly she could ask herself, well, if I was a kid. If, or what if I, if I was 15, would I want to be burdened by all this stuff? Mm, yeah. yeah. And, and by the way, when they turn 18, it's all their stuff. They have to take it with them. Yeah. It becomes their stuff. And all of a sudden you realize really quickly what stuff they want to hold on to because it all becomes just in case at that point. Absolutely. All right. What's the next question? Our next question is from Angela. My dad passed away very suddenly this past month. Angela, I am really sorry to hear about your loss. He didn't have much, but there are so many of his objects of his that hold memories for me. Part of me doesn't want the clutter, but I miss him and these objects remind me of him. It feels painful to think of donating them or tossing them. Um, before we give our answers, dude, like I just want to say to Angela, like we are not trying to make... Uh, your loss easy like to make it sound easy to just get rid of stuff no um but we do want to make your life easier going forward absolutely yeah my 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 short answer for you angela is if you wait until you're completely ready you may never let go Mm. i I think that's that's sort of the the i mean i think of this david foster wallace quote about it's from infinite jess he said everything i've ever let go of has claw marks on it Mm. it's because letting go is is a hard exercise it's not i mean now it's easier for me to do because I've built up that letting go muscle, but it's even for me, it's still not easy, right? It's mm-hmm. not the easiest thing in the world to just let go of something. Yeah. And and so um, I, I think about this as like, you're never going to be 100% ready to let go, but when you're above 50% ready to let go, which she is right now, she's asking these questions, which means you're pretty close to that already. Yeah. Then what, are the, what is the leverage you, you need to let go. Also, here's another pithy thing for you that it's a it's a question worth asking. What's the cost of not letting go? Mm. And I don't mean the the. I mean, there's a physical cost if you have to rent a storage locker or have a separate room or whatever to, to store all these things in. What's the emotional cost of carrying this baggage, literal baggage, the figurative baggage of all of these things that aren't adding value? What are they getting in the way of? What are they not allowing you to make room for in terms of space, but also time and attention and, and that space that it occupies in the back of your mind? You're always thinking about these things. Maybe it's not giving you the room that you need to make new memories, new meaningful experiences. Yeah. And of course, our memories aren't in our things. Our memories are in us. And so those are some 
some basic tips to, to at least think about. Um, Angela, I'm really sorry about your loss. Yeah. I, you know, I, the lesson that you have shared with, with me and with our audience a lot about how having fewer sentimental items increases the value yeah. of those sentimental items that you hold on to. Yeah, you get more value from them. And, you know, if I was to look at, you know, the, I guess like the the terminus of of Angela holding on to everything, she would be sitting in a room surrounded by all of these things from her father. Yeah. And she wants to honor her father. I want her to honor her father. Sure. Uh, I want her to honor the memories. S- sitting in a room steeped with memories of losing your father I don't know, and again, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a doctor, this is just my two cents, but I don't know if that's the healthiest way to deal with a loss. Because it's probably you, not the way he would want you to deal with it either. Probably not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, think about that too, Angela, um, having, you know, thousands and thousands of of these sentimental items, is, is it going to truly, like, is it going to help you to, uh, to mourn and to, um, to let you know, to, to let your, your, your father go in a way of, of accepting, um, his passing yeah. or is it going to make that process more difficult? Now, if her answer is unequivocally, yes, I, I if I hold on to everything, it's going to help me deal with this, this, uh, this, pro- it's going to help me with this process. I'm going to feel better about it. This is going to be best for me. Then do that, Angela. But yeah. I, I think if that's your answer, you're probably lying to yourself. Yeah. Um, well, or, or it's, yeah, there, there's, um, there's, there, there's, because I, I don't want to sit here and just say like her emotions is is her lying to herself, but but I I mean I guess going back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast and those first questions, is that feeling of holding on to everything, does that logically make sense? Like is your is your you know yourself five years from now, are they are logically are they going to look at it and say? Or, you know, is Angela's self going to look at, at herself and say, oh, you know what? I'm so glad that you held on to every single memento and you held on to every single keepsake. Um, no, her future self isn't going to want to right. deal with all that stuff. And so the time to deal with it is is now or at least to start dealing with it. Because the feeling that she's experienced now is a feeling of being burdened. And of course, your father doesn't want you to feel burdened. Now, you may have had a different opinion about some of the stuff or the trinkets or whatever. But now that he's gone, the one thing you know is he didn't want you to feel burdened by by losing him right and so you have some stuff some of that will add value to your life and you have to figure out what that is maybe set those aside and then start to figure out a plan of of dealing with with the rest of it all right my short answer is create boundaries or you'll hold on to everything and you know i was thinking about um well i usually suggest like mentoring students if they've got this hoard of stuff and they know they got to get rid of some of it I, you know, I always think like start small, you know, um, you know, to get a little bit of momentum built and right. it might, it might be a little bit, bit, bit painful getting right. rid of some of those stuff at first. But then that saying came into my head of uh, no pain, no gain. Right. And, you know, I don't want to tell this to Angela right now, you know, just experiencing this, this very recent loss. I'm not going to be like, Angela, get rid of it. No pain, no gain. <laughs> right. But what I will say is that, uh, more gain, more pain. Yeah, that's my favorite minimal maximum of the show, I, and I, I I completely agree with it. Um, as we as we keep gaining more stuff, we start to feel we start to feel 
the pain. Now, the pain can present itself in many ways. Anxiety, yeah. with insecurity, yeah. with worry. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, we got one more question here. This one is from Casket Kicker. I'm not sure what that means, Ryan. Uh, Casket Kicker asks, what are your thoughts on keeping mementos from old romantic relationships? God, I love this question, and I can't wait to, to talk to you it about it. It is a good one. If you'd like to hear our answer to this question, you can listen to this week's Postscript episode over at The Minimalist's private podcast, available exclusively to our Patreon supporters. That's why it's a private podcast. It's just for those folks. So if you want to support our show and help keep this podcast 100% advertisement-free, then head on over to theminimalists.com slash support. In addition to our weekly Postscript episodes, the Minimalist Private Podcast feed includes our monthly Ask the Minimalist Anything episodes, unreleased recordings of our live events, and the entire back catalog of past private episodes. Once you become a supporter, you also receive a personal link to our private podcast feed so that it plays in whatever podcast app you use right next to the podcast you're listening to right now. So basically it shows up as you're listening to the Minimalist po podcast and then you have the Minimalist private podcast as a separate feed, but it shows up right there in that same podcast app like Apple Podcasts or Feedly or Overcast, whatever you listen to. Uh, and as a Patreon supporter, you also receive access to our monthly live stream videos as well as first access to tickets to all of our live events before those tickets are available to the general public. Find all the details and all the good stuff over at theminimalists.com slash support. And here is a snippet from this week's Postscript episode. Casket Kicker says, what are your thoughts on keeping mementos from old romantic relationships man this might be our shortest postscript ever yeah don't do it yeah thanks have a good one yeah i think that's about it i mean uh, no I, 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 well let's talk about why well let's talk about let's, for us wh why is it a no for us well, and let's define let's define what r romantic relationships mean all right and we're back if you want to hear that full conversation you can become a patron over at theminimalists.com. Okay, now it's time for our added value portion of the show. This is where we each talk about something that has added value to our lives recently. Let What's me that? guess. You have a list of three things. No, I have one thing today. Just one. <laughs> Just one. It's funny because like the last few episodes you've had three things. I've been trying I had this like cascade of like 40 things. I've been trying to pare it down. So I'm like, I'll just take three this week, this week. Oh, and I thought finally was, I'm down to like two or three. I things. thought three was um it was like very uh, soothing for your OCD <laughs> to have three One, every two, three. <laughs> um, uh, no, uh, Added value. <laughs> Damn, it doesn't work. I need four things. No, dude. Uh, for me, man, I am going to recommend... Um, there's a there's a gal named Adrian, and she's got a yoga channel on YouTube. Uh -huh. So I think it's just called Yoga with Adrian. Uh -huh. Mariah does this every single morning. She's been doing this every single morning when we're on the road dude she can keep up her habits better than i can yeah like when we're on the road i will be in the smallest ass hotel room and she'll just be like hey there's this one little spot for yoga um i'm gonna take over this spot can you just like not be in my area for a little bit and i totally support her because it's it's a really healthy habit and she looks really hot when she's doing yoga but anyway <laughs> um <laughs> she does she she does this yoga uh, uh practice every single morning with adrian the reason why i like adrian is a like i have done a, a few of these and they're great uh -huh. but uh what i like about adrian is that she she has yoga routines that can go from like 10 minutes to an hour oh nice so it's like you can kind of pick and choose how much time you have to do these practices she's 
she's like funny and it's not like this you know i'm gonna take myself very seriously and these yoga poses i mean she has fun while she's doing it that's good um it's not very woo woo-y so it's like it's very practical and uh it's just it's very simple it's very very simple i've never seen such a, a a simple like yoga video and she's always got like her dog every once in a while that like comes in and like you know takes away or actually doesn't take away she kind of distracts but it's a good distraction like mm. you know it's kind of cute and funny when her dog comes in every once in a while but but uh yeah that'll be uh, linked to in the show notes if you are someone who is like you know what i really want to like start practicing yoga i would highly recommend looking at her videos i like the 10 minute thing I was just that's saying, you a could, good gateway yeah you could pick a 10 minute video and just go for 10 minutes and see how you like it and Maybe do that video. Like Mariah, she sometimes will do the same video every week or every day during the week. Sometimes she'll switch it up um, every day. But there's so much there and it's all free. And uh, yeah, you're going to love it. Ryan, have you listened to the Snow Patrol's new album? I have not. You remember Snow Patrol, right? I do. Chasing I, Cars was like their big, yeah, big song. Yeah, I've from, never like, I've never. I love their first album, but this one is so, so they, they have the first album in seven years. So um, the lead singer, Gary Lightbody, uh, he had a really bad like depression and alcoholism. Uh, so seven years uh, between albums because he was dealing with that. Oh, wow. So about two years ago, he became sober and really was like battling his demons. So this new album, it is like, it's so hopeful. Like the, um, the the first single I think it was called Don't Give In and it's it's just about that. You can tell like and there's this pain in his voice that that is like post problem solving pain, but also still amongst the problem. Like you realize once you solve the problem you have to continue to solve the problem. Right. It's like when Michael Jordan won the championship, he was focused on the next championship. The all opposite's also true. When we get past one sort of hurdle, it doesn't mean there aren't gonna be future hurdles. You're actually gonna keep seeing that same hurdle over and over. And uh, this album is about that. It's called Wildness. I'll have to check it out, man. And it's really good, man. Cool. It's, it's really good. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Let's uh, move on to right here right now where we talk about what's going on in the lives of the minimalists. I've really been enjoying this, and I'm going to drag you on here. Actually, by the time this comes out, you'll have done a few of these with me. The Living Room Conversations. I have not... So, so on, on YouTube, every day I'm answering a single question on YouTube. Let me just say this. I have not gotten this much positive feedback about anything we've done since our documentary. Oh, that's awesome. I mean, it. people are like, oh my God, keep doing this. Let me see. You know, I got this question, hundreds of comments on the YouTube comments, wow. people asking questions. And so um, actually cool. the day after we're recording this, Ryan is coming out to my living room. We're going to record some some more living room conversations. And the thing I like about it is they're really short videos. They're like two minutes to five minutes long. Like, it's just this little bite-sized video of me in the living room answering one question. I brought Bex on from one of about minimalist families. How do you get your whole family on board with minimalism? I really enjoyed that one. Um, she had her hair straightened, so everyone was saying that we look like twins, which I really do look like. I'm, I realize I'm such a narcissist that I'm dating someone who looks just <laughs> like me. <laughs> I'm essentially having sex with myself. <laughs> The female version of yourself. And it's really good sex. That is so funny, dude. <laughs> no, oh, you did a great job, man. Yeah, she, she looks great. But uh, we uh, we had a good conversation, but it was short. You know, less than five-minute uh, answers to these questions. Ryan will come on there with me as well. We'll answer some, some of your questions. But that's uh, going to be 30 episodes total, and then who knows? We might do one a week beyond that. I have no idea. But uh, YouTube.com slash The Minimalist if you want to check out that 
living room conversations find your favorite questions and also leave your questions there as well if you have a question we'll answer some of our favorites there that's where we pull the questions from is from youtube all right uh, oh by the way we're also hiring a filmmaker because we're doing more of these video things we're doing a video version of the podcast which podcast sean is recording right now i have no idea whether or not this is going to make it to the youtube channel but we are hiring a a filmmaker if it does though it'll be a nice uh you know comparison to when we do hire a filmmaker yeah we're doing a single camera thing right to now. see how yeah how much better the production quality will be yeah we're and gonna I, go ahead sir oh i just want to say to anyone out there who's like getting who's like getting excited about oh man i can't wait to like send in my submission and Please wait until we ask. Sending yeah. it, sending it to us on social media. I love the proactiveness, but we need to have everything in one place. Yeah. So if you send us something on social media or uh, send something to to my personal inbox, um, I it's probably not going to get looked at. No offense, but we have to have everything in one place. Right. Right. It's, so what, oh, go ahead. Well, it's just it's going to be difficult for us because there are a few things we're looking for. Not much, by the way. We're we're going to be looking for you know, what's your Instagram or Twitter handle. Uh, your name, your phone number, and then a five-minute demo reel. So if you're interested in that, we're putting up this job posting on the website on Friday, June 15th. So that's this coming Friday. You'll be able to see the email address where you're going to send that off and also what the requirements are, what we're looking for, because you, you may be really interested in it, and that's great, but you need to make sure that you can uh, fulfill the the requirements. There's some pretty basic requirements, but you need to be able to meet those in order for it to even make sense for you to submit anything. And then uh, that'll go on for the rest of the month. Uh, the deadline to submit your reel will be July 1st. So you can get started on it right now. If you're working on some sort of film reel to really impress us, that's great. I really appreciate the proactiveness. And send me a tweet on Twitter and just say, hey, uh, at JFM, really looking forward to submitting this. I, I like the I like the folks being proactive on this. Absolutely. But uh, Ryan is right. It all needs to show up in one place. And you'll have that email address on Friday, this Friday, July, the, I'm sorry, June did I say July? June the 15th. June the 15th is when the job posting goes up. June 15th, the minimalists are hiring a filmmaker. What else do we have going on here? Oh, new on Patreon. We just put up the live Sydney event. It was my favorite event of the Australian tour that we did back in March. And this month, we're putting up the Melbourne event, which is Ryan's favorite event. It was the probably, first Melbourne event. Yeah, first Melbourne event. We did two yeah. Melbourne events. Yeah. The first one, which was Ryan's favorite event of the Australian tour. Plus, we have 53 other private podcast episodes, so you get the whole back catalog if you become a Patreon supporter. I already mentioned this, but we're coming to Kentucky, Tennessee, and Alabama. We're going to be with Chris Hogan. We're going to be with Rachel Cruz. We're going to be with Anthony O'Neill talking about money, finances, debt, minimalism, decluttering, and a whole bunch more. Answer your questions. Kentucky, Tennessee, Alabama. Get your tickets over at theminimalists.com. Oh, and uh, this is uh, the first writing class of the year, and I only do two of these a year. I do these writing workshops, two-hour writing workshop. It's called How to Write Better. And uh, do you want to improve your business emails, write with more clarity, or learn how to write your first book? Basically, what I teach is... Um, how to improve your overall writing. I believe the, the, the rising tide lifts all boats, right? Mm. And so if you want to improve emails or text messages, I've had people literally take this workshop to do that. Or people say, you know what? I've been interested in writing a book or I've been interested in starting a blog. I don't know how to start. And what I do is I take the most important ingredients out of my four-week writing class, which I know is too much for some people. And I, I tweeze out the important ingredients. So uh, we talk about writing habits. We talk uh, about writing composition. We talk about editing. And then we talk about publishing and different ways to publish your, your work. And um, 
we boil that all down into a two-hour online live workshop. I also do a Q&A at the end. And if you can't attend the live workshop, it's June 24th then the video is posted in perpetuity. So if you sign up for it, I limit it to 300 people because the Q&A gets a little bit out of hand whenever we get above 300 people. So if you want to be one of those 300 folks, head on over to theminimalists.com slash workshop. You can sign up. It's called How to Write Better. It's a two-hour online workshop. There's a few new essays over at theminimalists.com. Hopefully by the time this one comes out, I've been working on an updated essay. This new concept, Ryan, you and I have been talking about a little bit essentials, non-essentials, and junk. Mm. Uh, we used to call it need, want, like, and, um, and, and it's sort of an update to that, but it's, it's identifying the, the things in our life that are truly essential, the things that are non-essential but add value, and the things that are junk but we pretend add value to our lives. Yeah. And it's good, man, because I, often I find when I'm trying to describe the need once likes, yeah, I it doesn't translate to everyone. Yes, and I have to, and we have to explain. Here, here's what a need is. Here's what a one is. Here's what a like is. And right. this is like so much more concise. Yeah, I think this will be really helpful. So you can find that over at theminimalists.com as well as all of our other uh, essays and, and writings and updates. Also, the show notes to this podcast. If you want all that to show up in your inbox, all the new essays and show notes, just enter your email address over at theminimalists.com and we'll never send you spam because that stuff is disgusting. Ryan, you got anything else for us? Yeah, man. I got all these voicemail comments and tips from our listeners. You want to check them out? Let's do it. All right. Hi, this is Emily from Roanoke Park, California. I was really moved by your collecting episode, and I wanted to talk about how studying art history in college, I was very seduced by this history of beautiful objects and started collecting myself at a young age and found it actually really quieting for my mind to focus all my attention on this one object and studying it and appreciating its beauty and it was only over time that I came to realize it wasn't owning these things that brought pleasure, but actually just feeling reverent for them. And I was able to sell my collections without losing much money because antiques hold their value, which sadly is not the case with most objects in the world. And now I can move through this world of objects and appreciate them and then just leave them in the world the same way we take a hike in the woods and we don't feel like we need to bring home the trees and rocks and creatures. We just enjoy being immersed in that environment and enjoy it while we're there. Um, and I think too often people think that when you're a minimalist, you have a kind of disdain for things and that you shun them and reject them, and that's just not the case. You can still very much enjoy objects and be amused by the novelty goods at the store or the beautiful jewelry on people's wrists and you just don't have to own it. So reverence is different than ownership. Hey guys, Bruce from Omaha, Nebraska here. I was listening to the beginnings and food and wanted to share something that might add value to the lives of the listeners looking to change their eating habits. As a sports nutritionist, I'm always looking to further educate myself and recently I saw a documentary on Netflix called The Magic Pill. It shines light on some of the things that are negatively impacting modern society's health and gives great insights on the benefit of eliminating processed foods and adopting a diet based on vegetables and humanely raised animals. It's very well done and a real eye-opener. Hello, my name is Maggie, and I'm from Northport, Michigan. I wanted to leave a comment addressing gifts. I recently saw a local news story about a little girl who loved dogs, so she asked for birthday gifts such as dog food and toys that would then be donated to their local animal shelter. So then I thought for Mother's Day, 
um, you could ask for items that then could be donated to the local women's shelter. Also around Christmas, there's usually toy drives and winter coat and boot drives. Um, and a last idea um, for children is um, their classroom at school being adopted um, to supply with um, some basic items that their class could need. All right, y'all, that's it for this episode. If you have a question for The Minimalists, give us a call, 406-219-7839. You can also email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com right from your phone. And if you leave here with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for, and you gotta grab, oh I bet that you'll be fine without it. So tear your eyes away, or tear 